You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I am Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Welcome back, my friends. It is actually the second to last episode in this first season. Well, not really the first season, but you know what I mean, this origins season. And man, it's gone so fast. Today's topic is one that was really, really pivotal for my journey as an entrepreneur and just a human in general. And honestly, I think if I hadn't gone through what I went through that I'm about to share with you today, I would be at a completely different spot and would have not seen some of my goals and my targets come to fruition like I wanted them to. So this is a really, really important period, and I'm super pumped to share it with you today. And there's some really good takeaways that you can latch onto to pull into your own life as well. So first off, I just have to say, (laughs) you may have noticed the last, I think, three episodes, the audio quality may have been a little different. Maybe you noticed it, maybe you didn't. So what actually happened, I just have to give you the backstory, Um, I had recorded all the episodes for this season before Christmas, and I was so proud of myself because I had them done, and I knew that I would get, they would get me through January, and I was being efficient and productive, and then we decided to go visit my parents in Idaho for Christmas, like the same house I've been telling you about, the same neighborhood, so I was going back to my childhood home, and we were going to enjoy the holidays with family, and we got up there, you know, we drove all the way, it was like 14 hours, and I was settling into just a nice break. And my podcast editor texted me and he's like, uh, a bunch of the episodes you uploaded to your file are empty. There's nothing there. And I was like, oh no, surely it has to be a mistake. Well, turns out when I had recorded five episodes, the last five episodes of the season, my mic wasn't plugged in. Super, super important. If you're podcasting, your mic has to be plugged in. So I had recorded several hours worth of episodes with no mic. So unfortunately we were in Idaho and I had no podcast set up. So I went down to my childhood bedroom, which is actually very much, it looks like it did when I left home at 18. Mom and dad haven't really changed it much. Uh, And I sat on my bed down there and recorded the episodes that had to go up while we were on vacation. So it was kind of a weird moment, kind of a full circle moment and kind of ironic since this season is about my childhood and my past and all that. So I'm just telling you that just for fun. Also, if you just noticed the audio quality was different in those couple of episodes, that's why. Not a big deal, but I figured, you know what, I'd rather uh, put out episodes that aren't 100% perfect and still maintain my consistency than say it has to be perfect. There's a whole other lesson in that. I've learned that lesson many times. Done is better than perfect. So anyway, side note, moving on to the actual topic of today's episode. So we were chugging along. Um, At this point in our story, so I don't think I told you in the last episode, but Christian quit his job uh, as an electrician and he had kind of gone from 
electrical work to wind energy. And then he was working on a pipeline about an hour away from our house and getting to some really cool stuff there using his skills. And he had good jobs. He always had good jobs. Um, but we got to this point around 2015 where my businesses, the revenue they were bringing in, and we compared that to what he was making, which was still a good salary, but he had to sometimes work 80 to 90 hours a week because the jobs he had were pretty demanding and he often was on call because, you know, he was building wind farms or working on building pipelines and things would break and it would be an emergency. So he was on call and we started to look at what my revenue was versus his salary. And it just wasn't jiving with the lifestyle we wanted. We got tired of him, you know, only having two weeks of vacation a year and always answering to someone else about when he could take time off. And he had, he had great bosses during those times. And he had worked really hard in moving up the ladder. So he had more privileges and freedom. But one of our goals was ultimately for him to be able to quit working outside of the home, quit working for other people and building their dreams and come home and build our dreams full time. So at this point, we had done our homework and we had been very consistent with putting money in savings. I was able to watch the growth of my business over time. It was very consistent. We were very stable. And we really couldn't find any other excuses for him to keep going to work, you know, eight to five or eight to midnight, because sometimes his hours were nuts like he was. So we decided, I think it was mm, May or April of 2015, that would be when he'd put in his notice and he would officially be home. And I just have to, I'm just telling you this because I never will forget the feeling. We were so excited for this. Like we had, we were very secure with our finances. And I'm just saying this over and over because we didn't go into this half cocked. You know, we were very uh, strategic and I knew that we, you know, my businesses could continue to support us, but nevertheless, I was so scared the day he put on his notice. And I remember he came home and he's like, well, this is it. I, my time is done. And I felt nauseous. <laughs> like I just felt so nervous because it was totally out of our comfort zone, right? There's that comfort zone. Again, we've talked about it so many times where we often stay in ruts. We stay in things that don't serve us just to protect our comfort. And that doesn't, um, it's not good for us. It doesn't always take us where we want to go. So even though everything was aligned, it, I was still like literally jumping off a cliff, having him quit his job. And people looked at us and said, you know, he's giving up a company truck in a good paying job with benefits. So he can come home and, you know, work for this blog business or help with doTERRA. There are people like, this doesn't make sense. We don't agree with this. We think you're stupid. And we still chose to go on. And it was an awesome decision ultimately. And it worked out so, so well for us. And Christian still is here on the homestead. He doesn't work for anybody else to this day. 2021, we're still on this same path. But man, it was scary at the beginning. So just a little bit of encouragement. If you are taking a plunge like that, or someday you desire to take a plunge, know that the plunge is scary every single time for me, every single time. And it pays off and it's worth it. And often it works out better than my wildest dreams could have imagined but it's still scary. So anyway, he was quitting his job. Um, we had three kids at this time and we were trucking along. Like life was awesome. doTERRA was growing and I was spending a lot of my time focused on doTERRA. 
more so than my blog stuff and more so than even the homesteading stuff. I kind of was really laser focused with that company, which is what has to happen. I think when you're really pushing on building something, building anything, you've got to have some laser focus. And sometimes you have to sacrifice other areas of your life. And, you know, we talk a lot about balance. That's a, a buzz phrase or a buzzword. I was going to say catchphrase. And then I said buzzword and then I combine them. So there you go. Buzzword catchphrase. Anyway, that's a, a buzzword, balance, balance, balance. I want to be balanced. And honestly, I kind of think that balance is an illusion because every successful person I know, whether they're successful in a sport or a hobby or a business or whatever, in order to become elite at what you're doing, there has to be a period of imbalance in your life and there has to be seasons. So what I prefer in my life to think of is seasons versus perfect balance. Because when I was really building doTERRA, I had to put my blog a little bit on the back burner. Um, and when I am really pushing on, when I was really pushing on the homestead for uh, initially when we were first starting, I had to put my horses on the back burner. And I think that's okay. You just have to be strategic with what you're doing. So I've been really focused on doTERRA, less so around our my blog at the homestead. And I was just kind of putting my head down, doing my stuff, not really thinking of much else other than my doTERRA goals and where I was headed with that. And a very good friend of mine uh, called me up one day and he said, Jill, I think you need to publish a book. I've, I've been publishing or I've been working on publishing a book and I found an awesome agent and it's a really cool process and I think you should do it. And, you know, it was something I had considered in the past. I had it on my vision board, if you will, but it was something I kept kind of just pushing down the road, kicking the can down the road for, I'll think about that later. I'll worry about that later. And so having this kind of brought up to me as an actual reality that could occur much sooner than I anticipated got me thinking. Um, and the thing that really caught my attention is because of my time in doTERRA, and I explained to you my growth process there, I had learned how to set pretty audacious goals and to dream pretty big. And so I was pretty well-versed in setting these audacious goals in all areas of my life. And one of the goals I had always kind of contemplated when I thought about publishing a book, because I'd had a lot of smaller publishing houses reach out to me and say, you know, we'll publish a book for you. You don't need an agent. Um, we'll just, you know, give us a manuscript and we'll slap it out. It'll go real fast. And I always declined them because my goal, for whatever reason, is that I wanted to be published by one of the big five publishing houses. Uh, in case you're not familiar with what that is. There's just a number of publishers in the U.S. that are kind of the big dogs. And it's not a necessity that you publish with them. Like there's plenty of really great smaller publishing houses, but for whatever reason, I had it in my mind. I'm not going to publish until I can get a deal with a big five publishing house, the, 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 big, the big leagues, if you will. So my friend had shared with me that because of my platform with doTERRA and my existing blog stuff and my story, there was a good chance I could get in with a big five publishing house. So I decided to pursue it. Now, there's a very specific line of events that happens when you start to publish a book. And I found this whole process to be quite fascinating. Um, I didn't realize there was so much that goes into it. But the first thing that you normally have to do is you have to get an agent. And sometimes you can go direct to publisher, but most of the time you need an agent. So my good friend introduced me to 
a great agent and I signed on with him. And then the next question, I had all these conversations with my agent. And of course, the big question was, what kind of book do you want to publish? And you might think that was an easy question for me to answer. It actually was not. And this is this pivotal point that I shared earlier. Um, it kind of caught me off guard, to be honest. But, you know, naturally, my first answer to that question would be, well, I want to write a book about homesteading or gardening or, you know, farm animals or maybe kitchen, homestead, kitchen food stuff. Um, but when you are working on a book proposal, which is the first step that happens before you pitch an idea to a publishing house, clarity is everything. And I didn't have a lot of clarity around my mission statement and my purpose for the Prairie Homestead at that point. I mean, I had some, but I was still working off of clarity from five years ago. And I, I think I was back in episode four or three or, or whatever, where I shared when I started the blog, I had this moment of, you know, I could help people live the lifestyle that we're living. Like I was still going off that old idea. It's not a bad idea, but your goals and your visions need to mature with you and grow with you. And I think it's really, really crucial. And my visions and goals for the Prairie Homestead hadn't changed much in five years. In fact, my visions for our homestead in general hadn't changed much in those five years. So this book process forced me to develop clarity. Things like, or I answered questions like, you know, who am I here to serve? What am I ultimately doing with the Prairie Homestead? And when you're asking yourself these questions, just answers like teaching people to homestead it doesn't quite cut it. It needs to be this deeper layer. And I'd never examined it before. Um, so the cookbook process, or actually I didn't, I jumped ahead. This whole book process launched me into some very deep reflection. And I was forced to figure out why the heck am I here? What am I doing with this blog? You know, I've had my focus on doTERRA for so long. I kind of had to wake myself back up and get extremely crystal clear. And I had to take my blog from, you know, oh, this is Jill's little homestead blog to what is my bigger picture? How can I show up in a more effective and clear way? Now, this process is absolutely crucial in any business. And for those of you who have, maybe you've listened to some of my business-themed podcasts or you've done some of my business coaching, I harp on this so much, probably to the point where my students are like, okay, we got it, move on. But this is so crucial because I see so many business owners, whether they have an MLM business or they have a blog or they're selling goat milk soap at their farmer's market, there isn't a lot of clarity on who they're serving and what their unique offering is. And it's okay to have that be a little more vague in the beginning. But if you want to grow and take things to the next level, you have to get very strategic with your purpose statement. So I spent a lot of time reflecting, talking with people, talking with my agent, and examining throughout all the content I had published. I'd published a lot of content, chickens and milk cows and dairy goats and natural remedies and how to make body care products and lots of food tutorials. I started to look at what was really resonating with my audience. And I also started to look at what made me most excited to create and made lists, you know, and 
uh, I kind of picture it as like, you know what a Venn diagram is? I probably only know what that is because I've been teaching fifth grade math. (laughs) But it's one of those little graphs. You've seen them. They're like circles that overlap, right? Um, And when you have the two circles, the, the the part that is in the middle that's overlapping is it applies to both situations. And when I looked at the things I love to create the most and the things that my audience really responded to, it had to do with cooking and recipes. So ding, 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 we decided to publish a cookbook. And then I had to get even more clear on what kind of cookbook, not just any cookbook, not just a random farm cookbook, excuse me. It had to be a cookbook that was super in alignment with how I wanted to serve people in the homestead community with food. So we decided on a cookbook. I wanted it to become a classic. And I remember thinking, I want this cookbook to be one that isn't just a flash in the pan where people buy it because it's new and then it gets pushed to the back of the shelf. Because I had a lot of cookbooks like that. You know, they were shiny at a point in time and then you kind of lose interest in them. But I wanted it to be the cookbook that people could give to their children and their grandchildren. And um, it would be kind of like the Bible of homestead cooking. So I set out to create that. And first things first, we had to write the proposal. I always assumed a proposal was something, you know, like a two page kind of almost like a resume document of the project. Turns out in the literary world, a proposal can be generally 30 to 40 pages long. And it is the calling card of your idea. And it has to be really, really solid. So it's quite a project, even to just create the proposal. And my, thankfully, my agent helped me a ton with this, but we had to provide like 10 sample recipes and I had to provide writing samples and lots of clarity around exactly what I was creating and exactly how it would serve the marketplace and how it was different and better than other cookbooks out there. So it was a pretty cool process, but definitely a stretch, really, really stretched me. And so we started to shop this proposal once it was done took I think four or five months by the time we figured out what we were doing and getting everything organized we started to shop it around to publishing houses and I ended up I think it was 10 different publishing houses we had conversations with them and then three of them ended up giving us offers and then we got to settle on the one we wanted and we went with Macmillan which is a big five publishing house so I was super pumped about that and they have an imprint called Flat Iron, which really focuses on, um, I think it's specifically like nonfiction. So went with them, super pumped, signed a contract. You know, I kind of figured, I was really naive about this process, <laughs> kind of figured, you know, but writing a book's a big deal. So especially developing recipes and taking photos. So surely it's got to be a year or two. You know, I can, I can probably fudge on this deadline a little bit. No, that's not how it works. They give you a very short time frame. Mine in particular was six months. So I believe we signed the contract in July and I needed to have the completed manuscript with all the photos and all the recipes completely done by the following January. So that whole period of my life, that, that next six months is kind of a blur. I don't remember a lot of it. I do remember I spent every waking minute initially in the kitchen and every bit of food we ate was recipes I was testing for the cookbook. And anybody we had over for supper inevitably was eating recipes I was testing for the cookbook. And sometimes I would make the same recipe over and over again just to make sure that it was super dialed in. 
Um, I was very, I am very particular when I create a recipe to give like exact amounts for the salt and the pepper and the herbs. Sometimes recipes don't do that. And I feel like that's important, especially for beginner cooks. So I would test the recipe and I'd add a teaspoon of salt and that wasn't right. So then I'd try a teaspoon and a quarter and so on and so on. And there was definitely foods my family was very sick of eating, but we made it got the recipes dialed in. And then it was this process of the photos. And initially I was going to do the photos myself, but I am so thankful my editor talked me into hiring that out. I found the most amazing photographer. Um, we had her and a food stylist come to my house for two weeks solid. And we photographed like crazy people. And it honestly was a blast. Um, it was so much fun. We could we transformed my entire house into a studio and I'd be in the kitchen with friends who came over to help and we'd cook, cook, cook. And then the photographer and the stylist would uh, photograph and, and tweak and make things look pretty. And it was like this assembly line and we had a blast. It was definitely one of the most fun projects. But anyway, I got those done and then I had to finish the manuscript. And so it was over Thanksgiving and over Christmas and New Year's of that year I would write and write and write, and I would go to a coffee shop in our local town and stay there all weekend and write and write and write, but we finally got it done. So I'll kind of fast forward through this next part, just so I don't bore you. The next part in publishing is rounds of editing, which can be somewhat brutal at times. Your manuscript goes to several different sets of eyeballs, copy editors and recipe editors and all the editors, and they cut it up and they use their red pins and then they send it back to you and you have to change it. It wasn't horrible, but it was definitely a lot of work. And then once the edits were done, the publishing house started working on design and formatting and getting all of that logistics, logis logistical stuff worked out. So from beginning to end, we started this process in 2016 and the book didn't publish until April of 2019. So it was a very long process so worth it. It, it. I still look back on the whole thing with very, very fond memories because it was a blast. It was hard. It was stressful. I really had to grow into the role of author and recipe developer and learned a whole lot in the process, but it was so, so good. And ultimately the cookbook did far beyond what I ever imagined it would do. It has continued to sell extremely well. It's gotten some really cool press. It's been in People Magazine, um, some other big publications. And it's just really opened the door for so many things. It helped me feel inspired to create a cooking course that uh, complements it and figure out how I can better show up and serve my audience and the type of food they're creating and the type of recipes they need. So this domino effect was so powerful and literally changed everything. Um, and it all started with that moment of clarity. And honestly, I don't know how long it would have taken me to get to that point of clarity if it hadn't been for the cookbook. I mean, maybe I, I probably would have still gotten there, but I think it would have been a much longer, more bumbling road. And that's why I'm such a huge fan. We've talked about it many times of saying yes before you're perfectly ready. And I, the cookbook was something I said yes to that um, I didn't feel ready for. I don't know how you could ever be fully ready when you're a first-time author to, to just take that plunge. It's an absolute plunge, and it's 
totally out of your comfort zone. But saying yes to that grew me so much as a recipe creator and a businesswoman and just someone who is able to understand what people need. So the whole process was very humbling and just, I look back on it with really, really fond thoughts. Now I have had questions quite a bit on if I'm going to publish a second cookbook. And at this point in time, I don't have plans in the works to do that, which I know may be disappointing to some of you. I'm not saying it's never going to happen. I actually have, excuse me, a note on my phone, my notes app of recipes and ideas for a second cookbook that I'm constantly adding to. I guess the one thing that is causing me just to pause on that is just the, the length of time it takes. So even if I decided to write a cookbook right now, it would be probably two and a half years before you would actually have it in your hands. Not the end of the world. The time will pass anyway. But I've been kind of contemplating, is there another way I can bring these recipes and techniques to you that are, it's going to be a little uh, shorter time frame. So I don't know. There's That's my official answer. It could change. You know, I never know when the inspiration will strike <laughs> to start that ball rolling. Uh, but at this point in time, I think it is a little more streamlined for me to share that bit of content with you in other ways. So anyway, there you go. Um, Also, I just have to say this, along with this exercise of gaining clarity at this point, there was one other secret weapon that I was really leaning on during this point of my own growth. And that was coaches and hiring people to keep me on track. I feel like if you are wanting to really grow something or get better at something or become an expert at something, that is the number one most important thing you can do is to hire someone to be your guide. And you've heard me talk about this before, but I'm talking about it again because I really believe that investing in myself in the form of people to get me or help me get to where I want to go has been my secret to success, if you will. And I, all the time I have colleagues or friends, or I see other business owners or, or people there, you know, I'm like, you know what? Coaching is awesome. And they say, no, no, thanks. I can do it on my own. Or I don't need a coach. or I don't want to pay for a coach. And I just, honestly, I, I understand that we all have blocks on certain things, but I feel like when you are refusing to work with someone who's been there, done that, it's really shooting yourself in the foot with progress and growth. So Whatever I do, I always try to find someone who's the top of their game to help guide me along. So right now I am still working with a business coach and he pushes me to do all sorts of crazy things. And I'm pretty good at pushing myself, but sometimes I still need someone to push me a little bit harder. And honestly, this podcast and my canning course and all the coaching I did last year would not have happened if he hadn't pushed me and held me accountable to do those things. And he calls me out when I am telling stories (laughs) about why I can't do something or, oh, I'm making excuses. And it's really, really good. So I'm telling you this because I want to encourage you to invest in yourself. And when I first started hiring coaches, it was definitely a stretch for our finances. Like I didn't go into debt to hire a coach or I didn't put it on a credit card, but you know, you have this revenue coming in from a business and you have to decide, am I going to take that revenue and put it in my pocket or am I going to invest in coaching? And sometimes putting it into coaching is the harder choice. 
because you don't always feel like you're going to see immediate gratification from that. But time and time again, when I've done that, it has paid off in spades, like big time. So whatever you're doing, if you want to get better at uh, basket weaving or archery or gardening, or for me, I'm learning how to rope this year. So I've had having someone help me learn how to rope. I highly recommend finding a mentor who can guide you along that process. It will be worth it every single time. So there you have it, friends. My my thoughts on clarity and also cookbook writing. I just think it's an interesting process. So it's kind of fun to share the behind the scenes for those of you who haven't been in the publishing world. Um, but I think my biggest takeaway for you is if you are feeling stuck in some area of your life, in a relationship, in a hobby, in a business, or just the trajectory of your life in general, take a moment to assess where you are and assess where you want to go and what your purpose is behind all of that. Because that clarity is everything. And if you're if you're homesteading right now and you're just feeling a little bit burned out or a little bit bogged down and you're not sure if you want to keep doing it, sit down and ask yourself, you know, why did I do this in the first place? Why did we start this? And sometimes that answer will re-energize you or help you get back on track. Sometimes it'll show you what you need to cut out or opt out of because you'll start to see, well, this was my purpose originally and this thing and this thing and this thing doesn't align with that. And time and time again, I ask myself these questions and it's really easy to get off track and we all veer away from our original plan sometimes and then we have the chance to get back on. But to get where you want to go, ultimately, you have to know why you're headed there. So a little bit of reflection time in that is always a very good thing. And that is all I have for you in this episode. Next episode is our final one. The last one of this series. So we'll take a little break after that before we proceed with the next series. But um, we're going to be talking in that final episode of what's next. And I'll share with you a little bit of what we're planning for the future. There's a lot of exciting stuff there and where we want to take things in 2021 and far beyond that. So should be good. Thanks for listening, friends. As always, you can find me over on Instagram at the Prairie Homestead or want to keep in touch with me via email. I email about once a week, every Wednesday. You can opt into that email list over at theprairiehomestead.com slash grow. And I send you a lot of free stuff too. So appreciate you. And we'll talk again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.